everybody, and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Today, we are in Season 2, Episode 8 of the podcast, and today is a special day. It is the final part of our series, The Way Back. We've been in this series for eight weeks. We're excited to finish up this conversation today and move on to some other cool stuff next week that we'll tell you about in a bit. But uh, my name is Ben Patterson. I'm joined by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, yeah. We're recording today on a Sunday, which yes. is different from our... Uh, typical thing, uh, but but hopefully that means the ideas will be super fresh. Yes, yeah, on no. our minds, <laughs> and so it'll be really crisp and clean and all that stuff. It'll be good. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, at our at the time of our recording, it is fall break week here, so we got a just an interesting week, some travel going on this week and all. Mm-hmm. So a little different schedule today, but. Um, that's going to be a good time. We're looking forward to concluding this conversation. And we do have some really exciting stuff coming up in October for yeah. our next series. So mm-hmm. stick around till the end. We'll tell you all a little bit about that. But for now, Paul, you want to give us that, that final recap? You now have seven <laughs> weeks to recap yeah. here. Um. Um, yeah, it's super tricky. And, and um, uh, you know, hopefully people will go back and listen to the, uh, the seven episodes leading up to this one. But uh, so... This whole series was modeled after uh, a book that that I wrote called The Way Back. Um, The whole idea is that that God is calling us to something different than what we're doing. So we had to start at square one with understanding who God is. When we understand that He's our creator, we understand that He has the right to call us to something different. In fact, you know, as a creator, He's our designer. I mean, if if you design something, you would know better what its use is than I would know, right? Mm-hmm. And so God is the designer and creator, knows our purpose, knows where we find meaning and value and all these things that we've talked about before. Um, and so God has, in a sense, you know, we could say the right to ask things of us. But we've walked away from those things he asked of us. Even though he extended us relationship and community and all these things, we still chose our own way. Um, and so we have been asking the question for the last several weeks, um, you know, what, what is God going to do? How is he going to react to those who have chosen their own way over his, even though he, again, he has the right to ask things of us, to mm-hmm. demand things of us, to say, you're my creation. I know what I designed you for. Um, and, you know, so how's God going to react? Well, he calls us to repentance. Mm-hmm. You know, repentance very much being this idea that we're turning from one way of doing things so that we can return to God. We're leaving behind what the Bible calls wickedness, which is our way mm-hmm. of doing things. You know, we have in our minds and our hearts a way that we think is right. Mm-hmm. And that's, those are the words of Scripture. We have this, this way that we think is right, but it's not. It leads to destruction. You know, so it's coming back to God's way of doing things, um, knowing that repentance is, as, as we've defined it, it's this conviction about the past that leads to a consecrated future. It has everything as much to do with, um, every bit as much to do with the future as it does about the past so that it's not just about feeling badly about something. It's about setting aside what's going to happen from here on forward this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to live our lives. And so really, that's where we've been to this point, getting to where we understand why God, you know, getting to understand who the God is who calls us to repentance, getting to understand why God can call us to repentance, should call us to repentance, and then what repentance actually is at this point in time in the series. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. That's really good. So tell us this week, how did we, how did we land this plane? 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's a good thing because you know when you're you know up in the air, I guess for seven weeks as you're getting ready to land a plane, you you're looking for somewhere with a lot of runway. So that's what we were doing today, looking for somewhere with a lot of runway. No, we're looking really to cast a vision um, for what the new life looks like. Mm-hmm. So once we've decided, I want to repent. I want to leave behind the old life. I want to embrace the new life. What does that look like? So we're asking that question. Uh, in the message on Sunday, um, both at the individual, but then the community level as well. So what would it look like if an individual left behind the old life for the new? And we read these passages, um, you know, we read four different passages, just read straight through them and had these summaries at the end of these passages, basically saying, okay, this is describing the old life. And then we're also seeing this new life that we're called into. So we're leaving behind the old life. In some passages, it says, you know, you're crucifying the old life. Your, your new life has been raised with Christ. So you set your hearts and you set your minds on things above. I mean, this is what we've been called into. And so I kind of asked, you know, I had this little, you know, stick figure illustration because that's, you know, that's as artsy as I get is, is stick figures. That's, that's achieving for me. Um, so I had this you know, image with all these stick figures and saying, okay, well, imagine if these stick people over here, if these represented all of us, the people we mm-hmm. once were, or even you know, the people that you know, folks who are still living apart from God are. So they had this grouping of stick figures. So that, that represented the old life. And here out of those people that, that were living the old life comes this little new community that's living the new life of Jesus. What would that look like? You know, what would it look like if an entire community left behind the old life to live the new? And so we talked a little bit about the old life and summarizing these four passages. I'll just give you real quickly what those passages were just in case, you know, uh, somebody did not get to connect with the message and they're just listening to the podcast, what those passages are. They can go read those. So that's from Colossians 3, 1 through 10, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Um, then Galatians 5, 19 through 25, and then 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And those passages are actually ones we walk through in the book in the eighth chapter as well. Okay. Um, but let me just summarize real quickly what those passages say about what the old life looked like. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the old life was characterized by things like this. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, idolatry, Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, debauchery. So, so start to get a picture of somebody who may be engaged in all of those things or just some of those things constantly, continually. It characterized the life they were living. Mm-hmm. Not to say that um, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus don't every now and then struggle with things like sexual immorality or lust or still have some evil desires in us. What we're saying is this, these things characterize the life that someone is living. So the list goes on, right? So you've got then debauchery, hatred, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. So just the summary on that is constantly gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So again, we're, we're thinking about, one, at the individual level, a person whose life is characterized by those kinds of things. And then beyond that, we're saying, too, what if an entire community asked the question on Sunday morning, what if an entire community lived like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would that look like? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, what if, what if you could not trust 
your spouse to be sexually faithful because the, an entire community's existence was constantly characterized by sexual immorality yeah. or falsehoods and lies or impurity and lust, evil desires. What if you couldn't trust people to be kind to you ever because anger and rage and malice and slander, that's all you got from people. Hatred and jealousy, selfish ambition. If that was the way that an entire community lived where everyone who was part of that community, their lives were characterized by those things. I mean, it would Frank, be... Frank, that sounds, uh, sounds a lot like hell. It sounds a lot like hell. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in fact, I said in, in, the, in the message, you know, thank God that even though we see tons of those things and we see people whose lives are characterized by those things, there still is so much good in the world around us. In fact, I think in the introduction to the book, you know, I, I actually say... Well, you know, there's lots of good in the world. Have you ever wondered why there's so much good in the world if there isn't a God? You know, so mm -hmm. there is still a lot of good in the world because mm -hmm. the presence of God is here and the people of God yeah. are also yeah. here. So all of life is not characterized by yeah. all of those things all the time. But certainly we do see that. And if that was the way that life was all of the time, always that way. In fact, we see this scene out of Genesis chapter 6 where God destroys the world. Why? Because every impulse and thought of their hearts was for all the time nothing but evil, right? Mm -hmm. So it mm -hmm. was like that to some degree, mm -hmm. except for Noah and his family who, whom God saved. So we can kind of look at that time, and if you ever wonder why, you know, how could God destroy the world in a flood? It was because that was what was happening nonstop. Mm -hmm. Everyone's lives, except for Noah and his, his kids, were characterized by those kind of things. And Noah wasn't exempt from them either, as we actually see in Noah's life to some degree. So, all right, as I said in the message, we don't want to spend too much time contemplating that because, I mean, that's an awful image. Yeah. An awful picture to think of that being life all the time, everybody that way. You could never trust that somebody had your best interest at heart because they were always looking for their own gain even if it meant hurting and wounding you deeply, whatever I can get out of life is what I'm going to take, basically. Mm. So then we move to this place, you know, playing this, you know, uh, kind of imagination game. What if an entire community lived like this? Um, to ask, what if there was an entire community, however, in contrast to this first community, that lived the way of Jesus, that lived the new life, that really truly embraced and lived out the new life? And that was what you could expect when you went, that, that was the expectation, you know, expectation so that when you had an exception, the exception actually proved the rule. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are going to be times where we still struggle because we're caught up in the flesh. As the Apostle Paul says, I believe it's in Romans 7, you know, I'm, I'm a wretched man. Who's going to save me from this body of sin? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. You know, so this admission that even those of us who are living this new life in the spirit still struggle because we're living in the body and the flesh as well. So we struggle, but our lives are not characterized by these kinds of things. Okay. So that's, that's a big difference, big difference in that. So um, what if instead our lives were characterized by these things? We had a community whose, life, whose lives were characterized by the fact that they didn't lie to each other because of the fact that they realized that they were God's handiwork that they were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to live lives full of joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. 
demonstrating that we're washed and that we're sanctified, that we're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What if that was our community experience? And again, not that we were completely sin-free, but that the character of our lives, that the way you could describe our lives was by those things. Yeah. And this is a truthful bunch of people. They, they believe about themselves that God has created them to do good works, to live lives full of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, faithfulness, as opposed to infidelity and all these other things that we saw. Um, and so you could say, okay, well, imagine if, if we saw all of those positive. Now, w- what that would mean is you would see also all these negatives going away. Mm-hmm. So think about you know the, the damage that sexual immorality causes, broken relationships, broken families, um, you know, people who are, are scarred and wounded by sexual abuse and other things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine a community where none of that existed? Yeah. Now again, the sad thing is we, we can't say that in the church. I mean, we've seen the church rocked by scandal after scandal because of either sexual abuse or, um, mental abuse, spiritual abuse, all these things. I mean, we know that's true. Um, and, and you know what? Here's the thing. I, I would probably say that probably does characterize the experience of a minority of churches. It's just that we hear about it every time it happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and it is. It's an absolute tragedy and travesty when it does happen. But we probably still should be honest enough to say that this picture that the Apostle Paul paints through these four particular passages of Scripture that we've just summarized here is probably not really what we see in most churches. Yeah, It's not this totally new and transformed, radically transformed community. And again, the idea of repentance has these radical connotations to it. I mean, it's, it is meant to invoke thoughts of a radical transformation, a 100% turn away from my will, my way of doing things, to God's way of doing life. And so, you know, I asked in the message, you know, because a lot of people looking around at just the reality of life would say, well, is is something like this even possible? Is it even a possibility? Well, the Apostle Paul certainly thought it was. If we shifted our targets, if we adopted not just a, a new set of behaviors, but a whole new way of approaching life. And if really, truly, we got to the point where we where we were surrendering our will to His, to, to the will of God daily, the Apostle Paul had in mind that, yes, this absolutely was possible to see not just individual lives change and transformed, but to see these radically transformed communities mm. yeah. who did life in a whole different way, who weren't just out looking out for themselves and didn't, and, and didn't you know, uh, didn't hurt others so that they could get what they wanted out of life, but loved each other in radical new ways. And all those good things that we just talked about in that short summary characterize not just the experience of an individual life, but entire communities. That's what the church is actually supposed to be, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the called out people of God. We're intended to be that. That's awesome. So, so you said in the message that if we want to live that new life that you're talking about, and you said that we must surrender our will to God's daily. So yeah. I wonder, what what does that actually look like? What does it look like to deny ourselves in that way, to yeah. uh, deny our own will and surrender to God's will? What, what could that look like in someone's life? 
Yeah. So, um, so, so I said that because Jesus says that. Yeah. You know, Jesus says that in Luke 9, Mark 8. I mean, there's other places where Jesus says that too in the synoptics. Um, you know, he, he calls us to self-denial. In fact, just read the words real quick from Luke 9. Uh, this is 23 through 25. Jesus says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, which by the way, that is the target. Hmm. Uh, it, it's not being a church member. And, yeah. and certainly we've yeah. created a church culture that has set church membership as the target and church attendance as the target when Jesus has always set the target at discipleship, mm-hmm. being his disciple and truly following him. So Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And then he asks this very pointed question, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their soul, some translations say. You know, I, I think about this um, this way. Um, probably, I don't know, it's now six years ago, preached a, a series called Discipleship 101. I don't know if you would remember that far back or if you remember that series. Probably most people have forgotten that series. I remember that series because of the amount of pushback I got to that particular statement that I just made uh, just a minute ago that that Jesus never set the goal at church membership or the target at church membership. Jesus never even set a goal, the goal at church attendance. He always set the goal at discipleship, at disciples, at being disciples and making disciples, mm-hmm. not making more church members. But we in the church have been very good at making church members and not particularly good at making disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are those whose lives are radically transformed because, again, they're embracing this idea of repentance, which, again, is a giving up of my way so I can live life God's way. So I can follow the way who is Jesus. Jesus actually calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. And so that is the new target of life is to say, how would Jesus live? We had a, a pretty good and somewhat short-lived movement where a lot of people wore bracelets that said WWJD. You know, what would Jesus do? And, and I think the sentiment behind that was really good, especially when people lived that out and were asking themselves constantly, what would Jesus do if he were in my place right now? Yeah. If Jesus were facing whatever situation I'm facing, whatever choice I'm facing, so not just, you know, what was maybe lacking in that is we focused on what Jesus would do, but we missed the heart behind the action that would lead Jesus to do and, and live out those actions, you know? And so how would Jesus think? So we're not just, to, you know, when we're talking about denying ourselves. It's not just talking about denying what you would do, but it's denying I think so much of that the fleshly impulses that we have in looking to see as the Apostle Paul later goes on to say in Romans 12, a, a true transforming of the mind taking place where, where our mind is being renewed mm-hmm. so that we can have the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if we want to live this new life, it is going to take this surrender, surrendering our will to God's will daily um, because this is an everyday thing. As we talked about in last week's podcast, repentance is not a one-time act. And when we've allowed repentance to be about the past and not about the future, we've allowed it sometimes. We've put repentance in this tidy little one-time act box. 
when repentance is supposed to be something that happens daily, as again, daily I'm conforming my will to the will of God. So what does it look like to deny ourselves in that way? Well, it, it means that we ask the question not only what would Jesus do in this moment, but how can I have the mind of Christ about things? How can I conform or let, allow my mind to be renewed and transformed so that I'm actually thinking His thoughts and that I have the mind of Christ at work in me? And that is, you know, the Holy Spirit with us and all those things. But it's allowing that type of radical, invasive life change to happen, which, by the way, happens when the soil of our life is fertile for that type of change yeah. and transformation. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the more I, the more I try to surrender, the more I find out these places, these pockets in my life that have not been fertile to this type of change and transformation on a radical level. The more I'm confronted again daily with the need to surrender. Yes, this this next piece of me. So it's constant like that. I mean, that's the way it moves. It progresses. Mm -hmm. So yes, the first moment I repented and said, my way is a mess. I need God's way because I know it's better. It moved me in that moment to identify the things in me that did not conform to the will of God and begin the process of surrendering those or begin the process of daily aiming to surrender those. And some of those things are no longer an issue for me. But as those things as those things become less of a focus, there are other things that are exposed. So it is yeah. here again, I am the, you know, daily, maybe somebody continual confronts process. me with this. It's yeah. a continual process. Yeah. So I think that's what it looks like mm. when we deny ourselves. It is the process of sanctification, which happens in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So again, as, as the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 6, I mean, we, we are those who are washed and sanctified and justified or washed and being sanctified and are, and are justified. So we've been washed, we've been justified, but we're in the process of being sanctified. It's a constant daily surrender that leads us to that place where we become that refined type of person that, that God has put through the fire where now this nugget of gold emerges and all the impurities have been burned away in a sense. So I, th I think that's what it looks like to some degree. Mm. That's good. That's really good. So uh, one of the things I really did appreciate in this message is that you kind of you brought it beyond just the personal level. Like that's that's our personal pursuit right. of that right of surrendering to Christ, of repenting personally. But then there is a communal mm. aspect of that also. Um, and you kind of talked about this idea of the whole community yeah. doing this. So because I wonder what would it look like if you had a whole community that really yeah. embraced that repentance in the way that you've described of what might that actually look like? Yeah, um, you know, we, we get a picture of that in, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts 4, what that community, how that community embodied that type of radical transformation because they had been freed from their past and they had the presence of God with them for the sake of the future. Again, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, what comes about as a result of truly repenting. Um, you know, we, we see this, uh, this almost this promise, you know, again, Acts 3.19, as we talked about last week, the promise is that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. So renewal at the individual level. 
um, you know, that, that is where it begins. But then as you start to, if you see one person renewed and start to live this transformed life, imagine what happens when two people start to do that. So let's just think about this in the sake of, you know, some, some of the most uh, simple, boy, I'm going to say simple. What I mean is there are just two people involved. You know, it's not simple. If I, I almost just said that marriage was simple, um, you know, which uh, not so much. And even friendships are not simple. But when we think about it, just simple in the sense that there are two people involved. If you've got a relationship where there are two people involved, whether it be a marriage or a good friendship, imagine if one person starts to live that life but the other person is still living the old life. So one person starts to really live the new life, living the way of Jesus, the other person is not. When a marriage, that can be very difficult, but the person who's living the new life can still have an impact, an influence, can, can influence and affect the person who's not living that new life yet. Now, it can go one of two different ways, and, and then there's you know obviously some gray room in between that where it has a positive impact, or that person actually rejects that life, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but imagine what happens if it moves from the one to the two. So let's say, let's again, use the idea of a marriage. Let's say in a marriage, one spouse starts to really follow the way of Jesus, starts to surrender their, their life to Jesus, starts to say, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and is really living that out. Again, the, the new life list characterizes the expression of their life as opposed to the old life list. Mm -hmm. And it affects the person who's still embracing the old life so that they come along and now they're both living the new life. Mm -hmm. If they did that perfectly, you would have truly pretty much a perfect marriage. You know, a marriage in which there were no falsehoods between each other. You know, there's uh, love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, all those things reigned in that marriage. Okay, let's expand that beyond that now. There's kids that come into that marriage. That's passed on to those children. So you now develop this family system in which that is the pursuit of life. That is, at the, tar that is the target uh, of life as well, is to live the way of Jesus Think about the way that, that even that small community would look. And if you think about, um, you know, as, as, a, as a counselor, I mean, I, I see healthy families and I see unhealthy families. I see families who are really devoting themselves to the way of Jesus. And, and I, I observe that with my eyes. Now, the reality is most of the time, those aren't the families coming to me for, for counseling. It's those who are, have struggled to live the way of Jesus. And it's oftentimes some of those things in that first list that characterize the old life yeah. that are yeah. damaging that family relationship, that are breaking the family apart, whether it's, you know, somebody has an anger problem, a temper problem, whether there's sexual immorality involved, whether there's, I mean, all these different things that can tear apart a marriage. But what if, what if on the other side, we saw this community that truly embraced, even at the family level, this small community that embraced repentance, what would that look like at the family level? Would it be harmony? Yeah. It'd be wonderful. Yeah. It'd be beauty. It'd be, I mean, it'd be the old Hebrew word, shalom, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. peace, rightness, wholeness on earth. Well, let's expand that and then say, what would it look like if an entire church community lived that way? Mm. I mean, think about how unbelievable that would be. And yeah. think about the impact that that would have on the world around as well. Yeah. And in fact, we see that in Acts 2. At the end of Acts 2, we see that, you know, 
the believers were together, spending time with each other. Man, they were floored by what was happening, but they were also enjoying favor of all the people around them because the people around them were taking notice. Now that favor didn't last. I mean, if we're going to be honest, it, it favor started to go away and persecution crept in by, you know, certainly chapter six, seven and beyond, we're seeing things get sticky for the early Christians. But up until that time, people were watching what was happening and were amazed by the way this community was living, this radically transformed life. And there's this summary statement at the end of Acts chapter 4, and I'll, I'll share that real quickly. And it overlaps a lot with what Acts, the summary statement at the end of Acts 2 says as well, by the way. So this is beginning in verse 32. This is what we see. Because they were living this new life, here's the experience they had. All the believers were one in heart and mind. I mean, think about that beautiful picture of the kind of unity they shared because there wasn't discord and jealousy and anger and fits of rage and all these things that characterize the old life. The things that characterize the new life were characterizing their experience together. There was love and peace and joy and patience and kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. So, I mean, all these things, that's what was characterizing the new life, a surrendered life to God where they realized God has created me to do good things. To love others well. So all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Can you imagine that? Yeah. No. I mean, being at a place, really. you know, <laughs> when we work hard for the things we have, we, we develop this sort of, you know, like magnetic attachment to these things. And we mm -hmm. don't want to give them up and share them with other people because I worked hard for this thing that I have. And, but that was not their attitude. In fact, Luke goes on to say, but they shared everything they had. And then you see verse 33, with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I love these words at the end of verse 33 going into verse 34, especially this phrase right here, and God's grace. That's the presence of God that was with them, by the way, that, mm -hmm. that Peter said in Acts 3.19, you repent, you, you turn from your way to God's way, you embrace the new life. You embrace that new life. You allow the Holy Spirit to come and radically transform you. What's going to happen is the presence of God is going to, to come dwell with you. You're going to experience renewal, revival, awakening. It's going to be amazing. And here's the way that Luke summarizes that in verse, uh, verse 33 going to verse 34 of chapter 4. He says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I mean, can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. Being part of a community where God's grace is so powerfully at work that we see what happens next. There were no needy persons among them because they were of one heart and one mind constantly. That kind of love and care for each other. I mean, that is what it looks like when you see an entire community, yeah. or at least that's what it looked like for them. And I talk about this in the book. I, I say basically something along these lines. Um, if an entire community were to embrace this type of repentance and leave behind the old life and the new and come together this way, would it necessarily mean, does it necessarily mean that people always sell their stuff and, and share all that stuff? Well, that, you know, I don't know, but it certainly does. If that's what God leads them to, that's yeah. what it looks like. And, and until we move to that place, we'll never know until we embrace yeah. and want and desire that kind of experience so much and believe that it's possible We'll never know if that's what God wants for us yeah. because we're not embracing that maybe even individually, which means we're not going to embrace it corporately or communally as well. I just think too, just of the, the radical 
like just the radical nature of mm-hmm. of this of this church mm-hmm. of their their dependence on Jesus their surrender to yeah. Jesus of what that looked like the witness that that yes. was to to the world to see that I mean and you know you, yeah. you mentioned what might that look like for us today that works out differently and you know in different churches and whatnot and and one example that just kind of keeps coming to my mind in this of a of a group that had this such that was so radical in mm. the way in their dependence on Jesus is what comes to my mind is the Emmanuel uh, Episcopal Church that okay. had the shooting a few yes. a few years yes. back where yep. um, predominantly yes. African American yeah, church, church in South where in Charleston South Carolina yeah, yeah that's right and a young white guy that's comes right. into their Bible study and ends up shooting several people in that congregation. And then you have, what, a few months later in the trial, this just incredible scene where yes. these people come up to to this young man and they forgive him. Yeah. Like, and it yeah. is, it's staggering. If you've not seen this, watch this. It is amazing. And it's when you see a scene like that, a moment like that, there. The church, there's something so different about that. That stands out yeah. to everyone. That that stands right. out to the world that something is happening different in this yes. group of people. These people are not living like people of the world live. And I don't know enough about that church right. to speak about that yeah. church, but yeah. clearly there was some radical embracing of the way of Jesus that would lead yes. a group of people to forgive the person who came in and out of a violent act of hatred shot yeah. your family members. And yeah. I just think of just one example of, of a church that is, that is doing that. Um, yeah, and again, I think it's, you know, we, we live that way. We're called to live that way regardless of how the world responds to us. We're called to live yeah. that way. Um, the reality is for some people that that's going to be incredibly attractive and they're going to want that to others. That's going to seem incredibly foolish. And so they're not going to want that. Yeah. It might even look weak. It might look whatever, whatever label you would put on that. Mm-hmm. But, but the point is not in the end, does the world and do people who are still embracing the old life react positively to us or not? The, the question is, are we being faithful to live out yeah. the way of Jesus? Yeah. Now, here's what I can guarantee. If we as the church continue to be a people that want to walk somewhere in between the old life and the new life, you can guarantee, and, and you, we see this today, um, Christians and churches are being called out by people in the world for not living up to the standards of the words that we preach, mm-hmm. for living far, uh, quite, a, quite a ways away from that. Yeah. And that, that has found its way expressed in, in a lot of different uh, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different sectors of, of our culture. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Just, but just because we live that way doesn't mean that we're all of a sudden going to be responded to positively or that people yeah. are going to be convinced. But we're called to live that way regardless because it is the much better way. In fact, it's the best way. It's the only way if we truly want to be followers of Jesus for us to mm. live. And it's the only way that we're going to see, again, renewal at the individual level, revival at the more corporate level, and then what could be if God chooses to move this way and if people respond this way, an awakening at a community level, which is what we want. 
It's what we want to see. We want to see revival and, and awakening. Mm-hmm. We want it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, it, it will lead us when we, when we see that this is not just a way, but truly the only way. When we agree with the words of Jesus, it ought to move us to this place where, um, where we have this boldness that, em- that embraces and expresses the way of Jesus as the way for all who follow him and really the way for everybody. But it's our way before we try to impose it on any. Well, we don't impose it upon anyone else. It's, it's our way of living. We embody this. We embrace it. And we hope that it is, yes, appealing enough to others that they're going to come join us. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's what we hope. That's what we want to see. But I do think that what we saw, what we see when we read the ends of Acts 2 and 4 are still possible today. Again, going back to Peter's promise um, that, that he made through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, at the end of Acts chapter 2, where he says, this promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, for all, them who, all those whom the Lord our God will call. So that's not just a then thing. I think God's dream for us is that this type of new life community would be a now thing. And, and I think we ought to share that dream. We ought to share in that dream fully, and it ought to be what we're pursuing um, you know, with all of our hearts. Yeah, that's great. So kind of before, before we hit our final question mm-hmm. here, I want to talk about something else that you brought out in the okay. book of a couple barriers, institu- institutional barriers that kind of might get in the way of repentance and really could become a barrier to renewal, to revival, to awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you share kind of what those barriers are and why you think it's important for us to be aware of those? Yeah, so, so there, there, there would be lots of barriers, but the, the two that I address in the book are barriers that exist within church culture. Okay. So certainly we could say there's lots of barriers that exist outside of church culture and the culture of the world that make it hard for people to embrace repentance. Absolutely, that's true. I mean, we, do, we live in a hedonistic society where mm-hmm. people are out to satisfy themselves and find every sort of pleasure and happiness that they can, even at the expense of others. That makes it really hard to walk away yeah. from that please me <laughs> life to yeah. please others life and to live the way of Jesus instead of my way. That can be difficult. But, but that's not really what, uh, you know, while certainly I do address that some in the book, when we're thinking about institutional barriers that exist, um, the, the two that jump out to me that are, that are rooted within church culture. First, this one of easy believism. We talked about this a little bit last week, or at least we talked about the outflow of this idea of easy believism. Um, and that is often seen and characterized by what we talked about last week with this idea of salvation culture. Mm-hmm. Where again, we, we really uh, were very focused on, on getting people to make a decision and a declaration so that they would be saved but to actually get people to where they uh, are acknowledging and living as though Jesus is king, that's a whole different thing, right? So um, easy believism, just as a quick definition in case there are folks looking for a definition of easy believism, it is basically this move to lower the bar of entrance so low that anybody can come to know Christ or that anybody can follow Jesus or anybody really here, here really is what I think is at the heart of it could be part of our church. Okay. Right. Um, and certainly we want the church to be an open mm-hmm. place, 
But what easy believism does is it minimizes any difficult teaching and in fact, maybe starts to ignore those difficult teachings because when we speak this difficult teaching, for example, if we stand up and we speak the words of Luke chapter 9, where Jesus, where Jesus says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, here's what it's going to take. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow after me. You can try to gain the whole world, but in the process, you will lose your, your very self. You will lose your soul if that's what you do. Well... In a church that embraces easy believism, we kind of shift away from those things and speak to the things that feel that make us feel good instead, yeah. right? Um, and so, what you've seen emerge out of that um, is is a, a culture of very much topical preaching, where we we preach topically because we can bounce around and not have to, you know, like if we're walking through First Corinthians, we're going to come through some very difficult topics that we have to address. Right? So we're not going to go to the expository stuff. We're, we're going to do the topical stuff where we get to pick and choose the passages that we like. Um, and and that's, that's one of the things that happened out of that. So maybe that's just a symptom uh, that came out of that. But what we also see very much is that we've, we create these church experiences where you'll love to be a part of what happens here. And it creates you know, this consumer church culture. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a lot of things that have come about because of that. But, but basically... I would summarize it this way. We create this illusion that you can follow Jesus and have all the comforts of this life as well. And not just maybe that you can have all the comforts of this life as well, that you should actually pursue all the comforts of this life as well. Which I think is at the heart of some of the things that we're seeing in this nation right now, by the way, and I don't want to open up really truly a can of worms, but um, we think about even the idea of Christian nationalism. What's at the heart of Christian nationalism? Well, it's the desire to have all of the things that we believe are the really good things that have been rooted to the identity of this nation and especially this nation's prosperity. So we want all of those really good things and all the blessings. We want that. But what if God is calling us to something different, a different kind of experience? And what if, in fact, having all these things isn't what following Jesus was really about at all to begin with? Mm. What if it was really about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Him? You'll just think back a couple of years ago at the beginning of the COVID pandemic when, you know, when people, when Christians were so concerned about their rights, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're taking away my right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're asking me to wear a mask to come in a store and I don't, I didn't like wearing a mask. In fact, I kind of hate wearing a mask, but you know, I, I didn't like to do that. But I also realized that as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to give up my rights on behalf of others, not be at a place where I'm saying, no, because of my Christianity and my God-given right, I'm not going to do something that might be for someone else's good. <laughs> That's not at all the attitude of Jesus. And so Easy believism has actually led to some of those things. Easy believism is kind of the, the precursor for the consumer church culture that we see, which then gets us to, again to this place where we feel like we really believe that God wants us to have it all. And we see this in, you know, in the very, um, you know, the, the kind of the health and wealth gospel that exists, uh, that is very prevalent in, in a lot of American churches. Um, the name it, claim it stuff that's out there. I mean, that, that, that is 
kind of what's at the heart of easy believism. So mm. I think really problematic because if the real call of Scripture is follow God and do things His way instead of give in to the desires of your flesh and yeah. have it your yeah. way and just you, and almost in a sense, using our belief in God to justify the things that we want to have mm. or even putting God in this place to where God will. God wants, you know, yes, Romans 8, 28, God works for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. But if we read the next verse, we find out what the purpose is. It's to be conformed to the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose that God is working toward. That is the good thing He's working toward, as opposed to God wants what's good for me, so He wants me to have all this nice stuff and a super comfortable yeah. life. Yeah. So that is what easy, easy believism has done. Um, and if you're in that place where you truly believe that God is trying to give you a whole bunch of good stuff, then why? The, the idea of denying yourself sure seems to kind of run counter to that, mm -hmm. right? So repentance mm -hmm. becomes difficult. Um, the second one, the second kind of institutional barrier is, is kind of a newer um, progression, but it's not. And I say progression that, you know, um, using the word almost that we're going to, it's, it's, it's this concept or this idea of progressive Christianity, which there's this debate about whether progressive Christianity is a movement, is an entity. Can you really say here are the things that all progressive Christians believe? And I think the answer to that is no, because the reality is you can't say, you know, there, there are very few things you can point to and say all Christians yeah, believe yeah. this thing specifically. Hopefully the core gospel elements, um, you know, all Christians would affirm and believe. Um, but progressive Christianity in particular is, is characterized by this desire to really appeal to culture and maybe move along with the progression of culture. So as culture progresses, we need to make sure the church is progressing along with culture. And so mm -hmm. um, in particular, a lot of times those... Um, those ethical considerations, whether it be, uh, you know, so many of those things in that in the in the first list of the old life would mm -hmm. fall into that. You know, where progressive Christians would question the value of some of Scripture's guidance, God's guidance about sexual ethics and sexual yeah. behavior. Yeah. You know, whether it be you know your personal sexual ethic and, and not, you know choosing or not choosing to have sex before or outside of marriage, there are progressive Christians who would say, you know, those are old restrictions and they don't apply mm -hmm. to us now. Um, you know, it could be about same-sex, you know, activity and engagement. It could be, I mean, it's all of these things. You know, there, there are progressive pastors who I've heard say that, um, that pornography in moderation is just fine for Christians and it's just fine within a marriage. And, you know, again, looking at, the Bible is an old archaic book and saying, but we've learned better now. And yeah. so progressive Christianity often brings a lot of pop psychology in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and it, you know, instead of ignoring Jesus or scripture or the words of scripture, Jesus more difficult teachings, mm -hmm. progressive Christianity denies those teachings and says yeah. those, those have no value and mean nothing to us now, yeah. in a sense, oftentimes. And, you know, that, and that, that's, that's not all progressive Christianity is about. But, but my point is to say, as it relates to repentance, if you're being told you don't need to change yeah. your life yeah. and you don't need to do anything differently because God loves you just the way you are, and that's often a big message in progressive Christianity, 
there's this um, there's a struggle to know what to do with the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. The wrath of God is a very difficult concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but that moves into a struggle to know what to do with hell. Well, most progressive Christians deny the existence of hell altogether. And, and they will acknowledge or they typically affirm some sort of universalism, which means that everybody is going to be in heaven uh, somehow, that God will redeem everybody. Or they will embrace Christian universalism, which still believes that people will come to God only through Jesus, but it still is universalism in the end. So why, why live your life any different than what you want to live if there's no concern about consequences for living your life a certain way? Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus talked about the consequences all the time, mm-hmm. you know? And so, again, these two things, I'm not, I'm not intending just to beat up on either easy believism or people who have fallen prey to that or progressive Christianity and people who have fallen prey to that. I'm just trying to say these are two very clear barriers to embracing the repentance that over and over again we're called to, uh, whether it be the words of the Old Testament prophets, the words of Jesus himself, the words of Peter in the first gospel message, or the words of the apostles in the first century and the words of Bible preaching preachers today mm-hmm. um, as, as they pertain to repentance and a whole new way of living. Yeah, that's good. So. That's good. So, all right, let's wrap this series up with, okay. the, with our final question of how can we practice what we've learned this week to be faithful in Jesus? Yeah, so in, uh, in the message, I asked a, a few questions, and I want to ask those here as well. And I think we need to consider those. So here, there are going to be a couple of questions and then this, this vision and dream kind of challenge. So the first is this, you know, the question that comes straight out of Luke 9. Am I, am I making the choice daily to surrender my will to God's will? Um, as I bump up, a place, bump up against a place where I know this is me and this is not God, what's my response to that? Is, it, is my response to hold on to that and say, yes, but I want this and I like this? Or is my response to say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for exposing this area of my life that perhaps I was unaware of before. Help me surrender even this bit to you. Help me surrender even this piece to you that I've not seen before and walk me through the process of being refined through the fire, in a sense. Um, you know, so that's, that's the first question. Um, you know, and the, the second one kind of goes along with that. Um, it, it's to ask this, you know, what, what is my target? You know, when I became a Christ follower, did I set as my target this desire to be saved or to be transformed into an entirely new person, which, by the way, is part of being saved? I mean, you're not just being saved from hell. You're being saved from yourself, mm-hmm. you know, which we need to be saved from ourselves because you know, as, as James says, you know, the, so much of the sin that comes out of us is because what is inside of us. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's our own evil desires. It's not just what's happening in the world around us or the temptation of the evil one upon us. It's what's happening inside of us. Yeah. So um, is my target really truly the new life? I mean, because there is an old life. There is a, an old way of doing things. And we can keep on living that old life and choosing our way over his, or we can really truly choose new life. So is your target a new and different type of life? I mean, a radically different type of life. And, and I think here's the truth for most, most of us as Christians. 
we didn't leave the target of the old life when we, or we, did, we didn't leave up the target of the old life when we came to Christ. We didn't say, I'm just going to keep on doing everything my way. What we said is, I just want to keep doing some things my way. So it's not a whole surrender. It's a partial surrender. And so our target is somewhere in between old life and new life. And again, that's because of the problem. It's because we often compare ourselves to others. We, we get away with that because we're able to look around and say, well, I'm doing better than so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah. But they're not the target, right? It's the new life is in Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not in the, the guy who's doing just a little bit better yeah. than I am. And the old yeah. life is not embodied in the guy who's doing just a little bit worse than I am, right? Mm-hmm. Th- those are not our targets. The old life is me. The new life is Christ. I need a full surrender to that new life, okay? So those are the two questions. What's my target? What is the target really? And am I daily making the choice to surrender my will to God's will? And then the last piece is this. It's just a challenge. It's a vision challenge. It's a dream challenge. And here's the call. It's dream God's dreams along with Him. You know, when God called, when, when God gave Jesus and when God gave us the Holy Spirit, what he envisioned was this entirely new community, mm-hmm. all living the way mm-hmm. of Jesus. And as I say in the book, we should not settle for anything less. We shouldn't be content with anything less. We sh- and it begins with me. It begins with one person. I, I'm not called. Yes, I am in a way my brother's keeper, but I cannot control what happens in the heart. I can't control what happens in your heart or anyone else's heart. I, I am called to surrender myself. I, I can't surrender you. I surrender myself. But my hope is that as I surrender myself and as you surrender yourself, we start to inspire others to surrender them, themselves. They start to see what it could look like to live in a community like this. And the next thing you know, we start to experience what is true about a radical transformed community in the way of Christ being visible in us more than the old self being visible in us. I mean, it's just amazing transformation that can happen. So dream God's dreams mm. along with him. Allow his vision for this entire new community and, and for your life in particular. Mm-hmm. Allow his vision to become your vision as well. Mm. That's such a good spot to land this, uh, land the plane. This has mm. been a really good series, Paul. I've really enjoyed these conversations over the last couple months mm-hmm. and uh, really appreciate you sharing this. Mm. So we hope y'all will take those challenges to heart. And even though we're done talking about this content, yeah. as we have said, man, this is such a continual process that uh, this isn't a one-time thing. And, um, so we hope you will continue just like living this life of repentance and share stories as you know as you are experimenting in this and um, really living this out. Please let us know how it's going. Absolutely, absolutely. So next week we are going to be turning a quarter um, in the podcast and in our Sunday morning sessions, turning a quarter. Mm-hmm. But it also, I mean, it connects pretty well with where you've just yeah, landed this. 100%. Uh, we'll be starting this series called Witness, representing Jesus in everyday life. So I think that's going to connect really nicely with this idea of uh, following up with mm-hmm. us being repentant with us as really as a whole community experiencing right. renewal or revival. So, it's almost like we um, planned it that way. <laughs> no, you <laughs> almost think yeah 
And we have a couple special things coming this month. Actually, next week in our Sunday morning environment, we're going to have a guest speaker, yeah. Kelvin Teamer. Teamer? Teamer? Teamer, yeah. Teamer from uh, Church of Christ at Bouldercrest will be speaking to us uh, in mm-hmm. that morning. And then on the podcast, we'll actually be featuring a special conversation we're going to get to have with him on our Sunday morning environment. So that's going to be great. We'll have a couple other, I think, another guest join us probably yeah. throughout this uh, next month. So please, Tune in next month. It's going to be really great. This series on witness. We really hope to have you all there. We'll see you guys next week.